Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Michelle Hargrave, the executive director of the Figgy Art Museum, about the upcoming exhibit for America, 200 Years of Painting from the National Academy of Design. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Now, this exhibit opens on February 20th and is the second show made possible by the Major Exhibitions Endowment Fund. The initial one was the French Moderns exhibit. What will the Figgy visitor discover in this blockbuster show? Well, first, I just want to say that we're so honored to be hosting such an extraordinary exhibition at the Figgy. Uh, It's an unprecedented look at the history of American painting as written by its makers. Um, We've never really seen anything like this before. And in it, there are uh, nearly 100 artworks in the exhibition spanning over 200 years from 1809 to 2013, including must-see masterpieces by revered American artists such as William Merritt Chase, uh, John Singer Sargent, Celia Bow, Charles White, and uh, Jean Quick to see Smith. You know, these are artists who are in some of the world's most prestigious museums, and they're now going to be on exhibit in the Quad Cities at the Figgy. And all of the works are drawn from the collections of the National Academy of Design in New York, uh, the leading artist honorary society. The exhibition um, features works that were chosen by the artists to represent themselves in the National Academy's collection. So, so For America presents a unique history of American art through the lens of the artists. Um, and this is a chance to not only see important works by iconic American artists, but also to explore how these individuals have represented themselves and their country over time. You know, we planned the exhibition several years ago, as as we do with uh, all of our exhibitions, but For America's opening in 2021 is uh, extraordinarily timely. The journey through the exhibition reflects significant cultural shifts in America that um, that we continue to experience as a nation. As there are many artist self-portraits and portraits in it, it encourages self-reflection, and we hope it urges viewers to build a deeper understanding of our shared histories and the rich complexities of what it means to be American. You know, at, at its heart, uh, For America encourages viewers to see and appreciate the world through the eyes of others um, in, in true American spirit, particularly as diversity has increased among both artists and the National Academy. Um, The exhibition explores our commonalities, shared histories, as well as our differences and presents an exceptional opportunity for dialogue and connection about what we all have in common, our our country. So in short, despite our differences, you know, we're all Americans and we think the exhibition is an effective display of unity that goes to show the healing power that art has. (laughs) The National Academy Design um, owns thousands of paintings and I know this is curated it's a it's a select chosen um representation of of their of their works and you had said it that that American history is 
um, explored through the makers, which are the artists themselves. When an artist is um, joins the National Academy of Design, they there's something really unique about it. They have to submit two pieces of work. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So the Academy's uh, bylaws. Um, uh, dictated that newly elected members called associates would donate a portrait of themselves, either a self-portrait or one that was created by someone else. Uh, then upon advancing to the next level of national academician, members were required to contribute a representational example of their work. And these donated works are uh, known as diploma pieces. Uh, over time, as you mentioned, thanks to these submissions, the National Academy's collection grew to form one of the largest collections of American art in the country. And the exhibition um, is, is focused around these diploma works that were gifted by the artists. And by hanging the academicians two diploma submissions side by side, the galleries um, will show, as we talked about, a unique story of American art from 1800s to the present day an artist's art history, so to speak. Um, but the framework offers an unprecedented glimpse into the minds of uh, significant American artists exploring how they define themselves and their painted worlds over the past two centuries. It also encourages viewers to reflect on a question that, that you know, we human beings have r- long wrestled with. How do we perceive ourselves in the world in which we live? Mm-hmm. The diploma portraits, you know, I didn't realize that portraiture was such an important part of this exhibit when I first started hearing about it, but it it really makes this a very unique exhibition for people to see. Can, can you describe a painting that you find particularly captivating or that resonates with you that will be on display? Sure. One, just one. <laughs> or do you want me to do multiple? <laughs> no, it's so, I say, I'm joking. It's just, it's so hard to choose because there's so many, there's so many good works in, in the exhibition. Um, so we have a few. Uh, one is, uh, I love a landscape from 1850 by Asher B. Durand. Uh, he was one of the founders of the National Academy and had been elected uh, National Academy president by the time he painted this landscape. The work is, it, it's exquisite, it's beautiful, and it's just so sweet. It's, it's representative of the Hudson River School, which was America's first native school of landscape painting. Uh, the artists who, um, who were part of the Hudson River School turned to landscape as a means of, of celebrating what was distinctly American, our, our natural world. And Asher B. Durand was one of the leaders of the Hudson River School. He um, would make seasonal trips in the hills along the Hudson River uh, in the Adirondacks in New England, you know, sometimes by himself, sometimes with his family, sometimes with other artists. And he would go up there to sketch in pencil and oil um, directly from most of the natural world. And in this work, he uh, shows two artists with sketchbooks conversing in a landscape that's evocative of this upper Hudson River Valley. He, they're contemplating their surroundings. One is standing and gesturing. The other, uh, his protege, is absorbing the lesson. And the figures, they could be any two painters. They're not easily, they're not recognizable, but they may also represent the relationship between student and teacher and the bonds of friendship that often develop between artists. Um, certainly, this is a, a theme that Durand has touched on in other works. But I think what's particularly poignant about this work is that it was painted two years after the death 
of the founder of the Hudson River School, academician Thomas Cole. And when he painted the landscape, Duran may still have been grieving over his friend's death and also just grappling with the expectation that he was meant to fill uh, Cole's shoes. Hmm. Well, it sounds... Uh, beautiful. I have seen just a an image of it, but I'm anxious to see it in person. And Durand and the other Hudson River painters were typically white male artists, but mm-hmm. the National Academy design became more inclusive over time. And and you can almost see our societal evolution through this exhibit. And you alluded to that at the beginning. Absolutely, you're, you're spot on. And you know the Academy like many of our institutions in in America was unfortunately slow to become more inclusive, but they certainly have made efforts over the years, uh, particularly in recent years, to diversify the artists, their their membership. And so um, we do have, in the exhibition, we do have a painting by Henry Asawa Tanner, who was the first African-American to be elected uh, a national academician. Um, but we all, and we also have this, the a self portrait that was painted by Huey Lee Smith in 1964, and this was the first self portrait by an African American artist to enter the collection. And Huey Lee Smith was only the second African American artist to become a national academician. And when he was elected to this um, to this to this uh, prestigious membership, he considered it to be the most significant accomplishment of his career. And the first work that he submitted to the Academy was the self-portrait. And it's one that presents the artist as a self-assured, serious man. You know, it's a straightforward, simple portrayal. He's not accompanied by professional attributes. He's simply dressed. He wears a dress shirt and necktie. He has, um, you know, a very intense, piercing gaze that's accentuated by the upward view that that makes it almost look like he's he's intensely studying us um, or looking down at us, and it's an intimate self-portrait, expressive um, one could assume of his inner feelings. He's he's still working in the tradition of academic portraiture, but we can speculate that through the open, forthright gaze, he's making a point. He may be challenging established concepts of African American racial identity and, and, and social confidence. Mm-hmm. And painted in 1964, you know, he 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 continued to work right through the the trauma, really, of the civil rights era. So there's Absolutely. a lot of pregnancy to that. Absolutely. Well, this is certainly a timely exhibit, you know, for America. Um, uh, it it explores our nation's differences as though as well as those things we have in common, and I I think. Um, reflecting on that is so important right now because we've been apart from each other for so long. It's it's been a challenging time because of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and um, and you know I must say I think the Figgy is a very safe place to be during COVID. That because of the size of the galleries and the meticulous safeguards that are in place, this exhibition is a bright spot in an otherwise difficult time. What, what safety precautions have you instituted at the Figgy? Well, I'm so, so happy to hear you say that. You know, every time people say to me that they feel like the Figgy is one of the safest places in the Quad Cities, it makes my heart sink. So so thank you. Um, We do take the health and safety of all of our visitors very seriously. We 
have strict preventative measures in place that will continue for the foreseeable future. And that includes requiring masks, enforcing social distancing, uh, frequent sanitizing of surfaces, limiting the number of guests in the museum and in every gallery at one time. Um, those are just some of the measures that we have in place. Uh, more, you can find more specific details, of course, on our website. Mm-hmm. And you know, I do want to assure your listeners that there really is truly no better time than the present. You know, because of um, social distancing, you know, we are offering a once in a lifetime experience. You know, so often when we, we go to exhibitions, you know, there are crowds that are jostling us. People are, are rushing us along, but um, you know, with the social distancing, the fact that the exhibition sprawls across three floors and we have our capacity limits, it will give viewers the chance to to view the exhibition, you know, without those hassles, without those crowds, and have almost a, a rare VIP-like experience. And that's mm-hmm. really accessible to everyone who, who walks through our doors uh, mm-hmm. and has the added benefit, of course, of being extraordinarily safe. All of which is really wonderful. Um, and you've compiled a rich variety of additional programming to complement For America. The, all of the lectures and events are um, can be accessible or can be accessed online at figgyartmuseum.org. Your opening celebration, which is, in a, which is a virtual event, will be held this Thursday, February 18th. What will happen there? Absolutely. So we, of course, wish that we could bring everyone together, but um, like everyone else, we're making accommodations and, and adjusting. And so, so instead, we're having, instead of an in-person gathering, we're having a virtual opening. And we invite everyone to join us to celebrate the opening of this wonderful exhibition. I and the directors of the National Academy of Design uh, and American Federation of Arts will welcome everyone. Then the Academy's Director of Collections, Diana Thompson, and the Figgy's Assistant Curator, Vanessa Sage, will explore the parallels between the Academy and Figgy Collections and, uh, and the origins of this, this wonderful exhibition. And then after that, we'll have a special members weekend to allow our members to be among the first to uh, see For America. If you're interested in becoming a member, you can find information on our website about that. We'll have uh, extended Sunday hours and double discounts in the museum store to celebrate the exhibition's opening. And um, as as you mentioned, we'll have uh, an exciting roster of programs um, planned throughout uh, the course of the exhibition, uh, which goes through May 16th. Um, Some of those include um, our our regular Thursday night talks. On February 25th, uh, recently retired Chief Curator Emerita Brandon Brame Fortune of the National Portrait Gallery will explore the role of portraiture uh, in her talk, American Artist Self-Portraits Then and Now. And on March 11th, uh, Figgy Assistant Curator Vanessa Sage will um, examine artists whose acts of self-determination and rebellion change the course of art. So she'll talk about European and American arts organizations, including the National Academy of Design, the Ecole de Beaux-Arts, and the Royal Academy of Arts, um, and the crucial tension between the avant and the traditional. <laughs> On March 8th, um, we're going to have coffee with curators. Uh, this will be our first of what will be a monthly virtual event where members and non-members are invited to join the Figgy's curatorial team 
as they discuss the planning and installation of a major traveling exhibition. Um, bring your questions um, for Q&A. They'll be delighted to answer them after they present. And we'll also have um, a whole bunch of other fun uh, programs and informative programs, including a cookie class on March 12th and cooking and art classes. Um, there's so many I, I, I could go on and on, but check out our website at figgyartmuseum.org for details. Mm-hmm. Well, the sheer number and breadth really of the educational opportunities that you offer. It's, it's so uh, I hope need to, um, to listen in to some of those conversations because I think it just will add so much to their, um, to the meaning and, and what they take away from the exhibit itself. But, you know, there are, besides the Figgy, there are other local cultural institutions that are putting on collaborative programming around the For America exhibit. So let's talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. And, you know, it were, we were so thrilled with the collaborations and partnerships that we had uh, during French Moderns. And so it, it's wonderful that that has continued with For America. So we have 28 partners within the Quad Cities who are planning programs with us, uh, some of whom are still finalizing their, their programs. You know, it's, it's dependent a little bit on COVID. But we do have some um, terrific things that are coming up. The Quad Cities Symphony Orchestra's signature series will celebrate American music in collaboration with the exhibition. The Putnam is doing a related exhibition on portraiture across cultures and throughout history. And they'll be offering a curator talk on the topic. Living Proof Exhibit is focusing its March creative series on For America and watercolor landscape. And Emily Christensen will teach it. Ballet Quad Cities is going to do a performance in conjunction with the exhibition in April. The Bettendorf Library is hosting a few talks about American art and artists, including John Singer Sargent, Henry Asawa Tanner, William Merritt Chase, Winslow Homer, and the Hudson River School. And the Butterworth Center is hosting a talk on American Impressionism, an American artist who visited Giverny. So there's a whole, there's a wonderful roster of, of programs coming up. Yeah, it sounds like a really, a, quite a comprehensive community celebration around this, which you're right, we, we experienced before during French Moderns, and it was so energizing. Well, we've been fortunate to have you, Michelle, steering the Figgy as its executive director for a little over a year now. And you came from the New Britain Museum of American Art, which is in Connecticut. What was your experience like there and how did it help prepare you for your role as the Figgy's executive director? Well, my uh, experience there, um, I was the deputy director uh, and I really worked with the director to oversee all aspects of the museum's uh, operations and, and programming. So it was a wonderful training experience and really taught me um, how to step into the, taught me what it took to be a director. And, um, and I, I sort of view it a little bit as, a, as an apprenticeship. Uh, so I, I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, it also, I also learned quite a bit about American art while I was there. My background prior to that had been, um, you know, I had been uh, British and European uh, art and decorative arts. That being said, uh, in my role prior to the New Britain Museum of American Art, I worked actually at the American Federation of Arts as a curator. 
And um, that position required me to be a generalist. So I, sh- I should sh- say that the American Federation of Arts um, travels art exhibitions and is actually one of the co-organizers of the exhibition. And I remember when uh, the National Academy of Design actually first proposed the project to us. This would have been maybe 2015 or 2016. Uh, you know, exhibitions like these take many, many years to plan and develop. Um, and it's really fun to see how it, it took shape over time. And, you know, it's also, it, it's been interesting to see as well, uh, both in that role and then in, in my current position, how exhibitions sometimes need to be modified for when they're, when they're traveling exhibitions, how they need to be modified for, um, for different venues. And some, some institutions are targeting a different audience than other institutions. Some museums have strict word limits for their labels. Some of them uh, have different aesthetic choices in, in their presentations. Um, and some, you know, just have different uh, configurations in their spaces that require an exhibition to be laid out somewhat differently. Um, you know, the exhibition at New Britain was fairly similar. There, there weren't too many changes from what we've, um, what we have at the Figgy. Uh, they did, um, we did cut 10 works when we were uh, at, at New Britain um, for space reasons, um, which we did not have to do uh, at the Figgy. Uh, and I can say that the exhibition was was well received, and it resonated very much with uh, the collection and the audience there. Uh, and one of the nice things, you know, really about presenting an exhibition after other museums have have done so is what you can learn from them. So, what um, the audience appreciated, what questions people had, what speakers and programming the museum engaged in, and what was successful. And um, and one of the takeaways that we had was that many people are actually not familiar with the National Academy of Design. As prestigious as it is, it's, it's just not a household name. And so just saying paintings from the National Academy of Design, which was the original title, didn't really mean anything to people. So at the Figgy, we decided to modify the title slightly to For America 200 Years of Painting from the National Academy of Design so that we felt it was more descriptive and, and People right again, I heard some background noise. I think that was a wise decision because it it definitely right away lets the viewer know what they're going to see that this is a historical kind of retrospective, broader view of American art, and that was helpful to me certainly seeing that. And um, there are eight museums, I believe, on this national tour, and it sounds as if we're fortunate that the Figgy was in that latter half then. Absolutely, absolutely, and and we, I should say that we're the only uh, midwestern uh, venue west of the Mississippi. <laughs> well, you came to the Figgy in December of two thousand nineteen, and um, you know when I think back to that time, nobody knew then what was coming in terms of the pandemic. So you really had to dive in and do some very creative planning and refocusing right away. It was a true trial by fire. Um, but you've done a, just a marvelous job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, I have to say the community has been so incredibly welcoming and so helpful. The board, you know, I, I can't thank the board enough, you and, and the other board members um, for your leadership and guidance and the staff. We, we are so lucky to have such a creative and hardworking team at the city. So, so I, I feel very grateful to have landed here. Great. 
Well, Michelle Hargrave, thank you so much for talking today. And I, I hope that many people take the opportunity to see For America. They, they really shouldn't miss it. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you you're having me on. For America, 200 Years of Painting from the National Academy of Design opens with the Figgy Art Museum's member preview weekend on February 20th and will be available for public viewing through May 16th. The Figgy is a safe place to be with museum capacity, social distancing and mask guidelines followed, and viewing will be available on a first-come, first-served basis. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal.